Pacific, you'll be fine. Uh, and then secondly, how about the Razorbacks? I feel, I feel like just because it's been 20 games and just because almost three years have passed, we do have to talk about it. I don't know how many more will happen, but I'm excited that one did. Uh, I, I know we've been on the bear train for a while. I love the UCA Bears. They've been winning conference championship last year. They're on, they're on a win streak. I wish that they would just learn from the Bears. I wish the Hogs would take notes. But obviously, over the last couple of years, you can, you can look at, you know, how many of y'all remember the Bama era? Like when Bama, how many Bama fans in the house? One. Okay, okay. Lord, we just pray unity against in these people. Oh, what did I do? Uh, so the Bama era, they, they took over, and then over the last couple of years, Clemson has been the rival. Everybody's been like, Clemson and Bama are going to fight it out. And then last year... I forget what happened. Um, okay, LSU won. LSU won. Uh, so even in sports, you see this ebb and flow of like so much changes in a, in a series of, you know, at five to ten years. So much changes over that time. If you look at our culture today, so much has shifted over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, I'll, I'll mention a few of them. How many, uh, when I was in high school, came to college a few years ago, dating was simple. Um, it really wasn't simple, honestly. Like it was, it's pretty difficult. But when you, the concept of dating was like, your mom said, "Hey, Julie or, or Samantha's single," and you're like, "Okay, well, she's cute. Like maybe I could, like, we could, we could hang out some." So you're around them, and you're like awkwardly around them. You know what I mean? And then it's like you ask her, and she's like, "You're weird, no," or like whatever it may be. But apps nowadays make it way easier. Uh, I'm not opposed to dating apps. I, I know a lot of people that have done it. Uh, but you can find people with qualities that you like and like the same things that you like, and you can go on dates now. So that's changed the dating scene for for a lot of us. Even the family dynamic, what what culture says family should be, that's changed a lot. Look at sex and gender. One one group of people is going to say one thing, one group of people is going to say another. Depending on who you talk to, they're going to tell you totally different, totally different perspectives. You look at social media. Ten years ago, Instagram was like a photo editing app. How many of y'all remember that? Nobody used it as photo editing. My wife always talks about it. She's like, I edited photos on it and then like saved it and posted it. Like she was like, oh, it's just my camera roll. Like, no, that went out for everybody. But Instagram is, has changed so much. There, there used to be not a lot of people on social media, but now there's over 3 billion active users on social media. Our culture is shifting our culture is, social media has such a grip on our culture that it can tell us what to do. It's, it's showing us, it's telling us what we should be doing. Uh, you look at politics. Moving on. Uh, I just have to say, Lord, hurry. Lord, come on back. You look at LeBron, he's been on four different teams in ten years. I mean, what can we even do? LeBron can't stay, he wins championships wherever he goes. If he can't just stay with one team, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell nobody. Culture shifts just like everything else in our life. Everywhere we look, it's shifting all the time. And one thing I want to hit on really quick is even the church has shifted. Even the, the church has changed. And I'm not talking about the people in the church because I know they change. We're sinners that make up a body of believers, and that's just the way it is. But I'm talking about what culture has done with the church. So for years, if you look back 10, 15 years ago, the church used to be, a, 
a center culture, uh, a, like organization, if you would. Like it used to be uh, a part of governmental decisions. It used to be part of things that would influence what we would decide as a nation. It used to it used to be something that would influence uh, discernment and wisdom and things that we would choose to do. But now, studies have shown that we are now a fringe culture. We have been pushed to the outside, and I think we're at a place where the church doesn't really know how to handle the position, not because of the wickedness of the church, but the, the culture has shifted us to the outside, being the church. And so I'm just going to open, this is just in my research the last few weeks, I'm going to open up my heart tonight because this is something that the Lord is teaching me. Because if I were to go around to each one of you and ask you, like, how are you feeling? How, how, are you confident in your relationship with God and how to walk out your relationship with God? I'm going to be honest with you. If I were to answer your question to me that way, I would say I'm not sure because there's so, there's so much divisiveness and division when it comes to politics and so much tension and hurt and heartache when it comes to racial, racial subjects and topics and depending on who you talk to. like our, We need help. And if I sit here and think about, man, how can I be to this person? What can I be to this people? What can I be to this group of people? As a believer, it's overwhelming. I don't know how many of you can, can sit there in your seat and think about the same thing. I, I bet a lot of us are there. And so as I look at how culture has shifted, and I'm not blaming culture. Culture is going to do it. The next 10 years, we're, it's going to change, and we're gonna, it's going to be more different. Or like, I don't even, whatever. But... <laughs> It's only going to shift. But the two things that we need more than everything right now, and Jason Kimbrough said it this morning, is the Word of God and Jesus himself, because those will never change. And what we're going to do these next few weeks is we're going to dive into Scripture. And I want to break down this, ver- this passage uh, for the next 15 minutes, and I just want to talk through what, what it looks like for us to live right now in 2020. How do we live for Jesus in 2020? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know the answers. I'm more like you than I am the Lord. So if, if you're expecting me to be the mouth of the Lord coming down here and telling you exactly how to live, this is just what I've experienced, what I'm reading in the Word. And I just, I have a heart to see people come to know Him. And I want to try to live my, my life out for Jesus the best I can. And so what I'm going to do tonight is lay out what I've been learning, what God's been teaching me, and then we're going to move from there. Y'all with me? Y'all ready for the Word? Say Amen. Come on, y'all strong. Okay, I want to start here. Romans 12, 2. It says, don't live any longer the way this world lives. Okay? If we just stop right there, it's like, well, if I wouldn't have read that verse, you would probably say, yeah, that's, that's something we need to do. But then it goes on to say, let your way of thinking be completely changed. How do we do this? By spending time in God's Word. By being around other believers. By giving them the ability to call us out and hold us accountable by, by being in church and letting the, the presence of God transform us and being around other believers and making Christ first in decisions that we make. All these things are what changes our mind. The renewing of our mind through the washing of God's word, through the changing of our minds. Then you will be able to test what God wants for you. And then check this out. And you will agree that what he wants is right. So it all comes back to God's word, where we're about to start right now. So how do I live like Jesus in 2020? We're going to camp out on this verse right here, Matthew 5, 1 through 2. This is where we're going to be. So if you want to turn there, Matthew 5, you can highlight, underscore, 
Underscore? That's not a thing. Underline. Okay, I'm going to start verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump to 13. So here we go. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. And then it says, he goes on, and he's teaching them, God blesses those who are poor in spirit, uh, those who are humble, the merciful, those whose hearts are pure, those who keep their hearts pure, and those who work for peace. God blesses these types of people. And then Jesus goes on to teach them, you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Oh, it did switch. You're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. I want to go through three points really quickly from this passage of Scripture, these uh, few verses that we can hold on to, that we can cling to. And I hopefully want to just relieve the tension that's on us as we think about, how do I live for God? I want to simplify it to where when we walk out of here today, we know as believers what we can focus on and what we can do. So point number one, you are the plan. You are the plan. If you look at the first couple, uh, the first sentence in that group of scripture, it says, his disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. I want to encourage each of you in this room, if you've been a believer for almost your whole life, if you've been a believer for maybe a year or so, or maybe you may make a decision tonight to give your heart to the Lord, to surrender to Jesus, you are the plan. When God sent Jesus to this earth, he said, I'll tell you what, my plan to save the entire population of people living on the earth, my plan to see kingdom, the, the, the heavenly kingdom come down to earth, the glory of God coming down to earth is going to be through the people who choose to follow me. So if we have made that decision, we are now God's plan, his number one in, okay, how will people on this earth come to know Jesus? You and me. Now, if you think about that, that's really kind of intimidating. How many of you would be intimidated if I said, now you got to go out there and make everyone believe in Jesus? Okay, well, I would kind of be, just to be honest with you. Like, if it's up to me, listen, I think the church gets it wrong in a lot of ways. And a lot of you have seen hurt. A lot of you have experienced pain because of this very thing. God is not asking you to be God. Let me, t- let me take the pressure off of us. God is not asking you or I to be God. We are, not, we are neither perfect. We neither have what it takes to save people. All he's asking us to do is be faithful, to be obedient, to walk in, in understanding and a knowledge of just how to live out a relationship with him. And how do we do that? By reading his word, by, by being discipled by somebody else, by letting people know, hey, I want to get this right, but I don't, I don't know. God, God's not concerned with perfect people following him and declaring, you need to follow Jesus. All he needs is people that aren't weird, who can walk up to somebody and say, hey, are you hurting? Can I pray with you? That's what it looks like to be the salt of the earth, as this passage of Scripture says, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to, to win people to the kingdom, to win people and have them experience the life-giving, the hope of Jesus. 
is to be Jesus to them. You and I are the plan. Point number two. This is where I want to dive in really quickly. You are the salt of the earth. And this is where I got stuck. Because the only salt I know of is what I put on like chips and potatoes and stuff. And I'm like, what does he mean? Like, Jesus is sitting here telling his disciples, and he, this is like the group of people who are following him for real. Like, people who showed up, his 12 disciples are there, his best bros, and then this whole group of people start coming in. He said he saw the crowds of people, and he began to teach his disciples. So everybody's kind of coming in. And by this time, there's a lot of people here, and he's like, You're gonna, you are the salt of the earth. And I would have probably been like, what do you mean? Right now. But if we take our, if we, if we look through the lens of cultural and historical context, which I'm so thankful for the life of Christ because it's teaching me how to do this. So if you have, guys haven't jumped into the life of Christ, it's amazing in a sense that it's teaching us how to read the word differently. It's how to, how to get more out of the scripture because we're looking at what Jesus talked about, how it related to the culture back then and how it relates to our culture today. But there's three things that as I studied this passage of scripture and what the salt represented there's three things. So really, really quickly, first, we're to preserve. Uh, they didn't have they didn't have refrigerators back then. They didn't have deep freezers. How many of y'all got some deep freezers with all the meat in there? Probably none of y'all because y'all live in a dorm room. Um, okay, wrong group of people. Um, how many of y'all have that little mini fridge that keeps like two waters and maybe leftover CCR from Don's? <laughs> Shout out to Amir last week. What's up? Uh, they didn't have refrigerators, so in in order to keep things from going bad, they would just like, I guess, rub it in salt. I, I don't know. Like, I, that can't be good. Like, you just got a piece of beef sitting there and you're just massaging salt all over it. Like, it can't be good with that much salt on it, but that's how they had to preserve it. If they wanted food a day or two from then, they had to put salt on it. So what does this mean for us as believers? We're to preserve the human race on the planet. So what does that mean? God has put us here and he said, hey, what I need you to do is you're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to look at all these people around you, the people who are hurting, who are broken, and you're going to welcome them in. You're going to love them. You're going to, regardless of their sin, the things that they're battling, the things that are going on in their life, you're going to be the salt. Why? Because I need you to preserve them until they really understand the grace and the love I have for them. That is what it means to be the salt of the earth. To not judge them based on their sin or what they're walking through, but that we would say you know what? I'm not supposed to be God. I'm not going to judge you for what you're walking through. I'm going to, I'm going to accept you in. I'm going to have you come into our community and you're going to grow. You're going to have an opportunity to realize the hope that there is in Christ, the love that he has for you, what Jesus did on the cross. And by doing these things, by just loving them and being not weird and opening the door for someone to come in, we're being the salt of the earth to preserve them so that they won't turn bad, so that they won't spoil, so that they won't die spiritually. We're preserving the earth. Another, another way, it adds flavor. How many of y'all, when y'all get that, back, that uh, basket of chips at the Mexican restaurant, what do y'all do first? Duh. I've never understood, why don't they just salt it before they come out? If they, they do, is that what you said? <laughs> if they do, I double salt it. I don't even care. I, but it's, why do they do that? Or why do we do that? Because we want it to taste better. So I don't know how many, um, I don't know how this relates to y'all's generation, but when I used to shop for my mom for Christmas, um, I would go to Dillard's. Y'all go to Dillard's or y'all just go to Amazon or 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, when I went to Dillard's, my dad would always take us and we would shop for a couple family members. This is what it would look like. So we would walk into Dillard's and we would see this setup. And when you walk in the store, my mom had this perfume that she would always wear. And it was this one perfume. And some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. Like, but in each of these, see, you see all these boxes. Like, each one of these boxes is a different scent, but they're all black. And so how am I to know, okay, it's that black one. I need, I need the one third from the left, put that in a bag and let me take it home. I didn't know. So what they would do is, obviously, your mom wears a ton of perfume, so you know the smell. So they pull out this little piece of paper. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever smelled the paper before they put it on there? There's really nothing to it. It really, it really doesn't smell like anything. But, so then they take that little piece of paper, they squirt it with the perfume, and then what do they do? And then first they do this, they're like, oh, I don't even know what that does. They're like, I'm like, what are you doing? I don't, am I supposed, smelling it from a distance? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But then they hand it to you, and then you go, nope. Like, you gotta, you gotta figure out from which scent they've given you which perfume it is. And then you get down the line and then you say, oh, that's the one. Why do they do that? Because it's the scent that makes you want to buy it. It's the scent that makes you say, okay, yes, that is the one for me. The same way in our relationship with Jesus. By the way that we live, by the way that we walk out our daily life with Christ, other people are going to see how we live and they're going to want what we have. So what I mean by that, when you salt chips, that makes it so much better. When we live for Christ, when we're the salt of the earth, we make a relationship with Jesus appealing to other people. You and I may be the only form of Jesus that anybody ever sees. So when we walk around, we walk to Kroger, you're walking to class, and you have, you have had a day. Let me tell you this. You have had a day. And you ain't trying to mess with Becky. She's all up in your desk that you normally sit in, whatever it is. How are you going to respond the way that we live out every single day, the decisions that we make are what makes Jesus appealing. Are, are we a flavor people want to try out? It's really weird to think that way, now that I said that out loud. <laughs> but is your, is your life making other people want more of Jesus? That's what it means to be salt of the earth. And lastly... Jesus used a lot of farming analogies because that was really big back in the day. So what they would do is if you didn't farm, you knew somebody that did farm. Um, so they would, they had all these animals, you know, you read all about animals in the Bible and all these animals produced poop. So what they would do is they would take that and put it in the soil and that soil would then be way more fertile for the plants and crops to grow Possibly even faster. How many of y'all farmers in the house? Like, how many of y'all follow me? Nobody, okay. Farmville, Facebook, nobody? Y'all are, get on Facebook. (laughs) Said nobody. So, we're sitting there. uh, The farmer takes all that, but what they would do is they would add salt to the ground. Because what salt would do is it would break up the minerals in the manure poop and it would it would disperse the nutrients across the soil 
and it would help break that down. So for us as believers, looking at that analogy, what does that mean for us? We help break down the gospel. We help break down the mysteries that are all about God. And I'm, I'm telling you, there's things that I still don't understand. And there are things I never will understand about God. And that's okay. I have faith and I trust that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And I, I confess that He is the Lord of my life. And I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. That's the, that's the steps I have to take. Everything else, I'm okay with either finding out later or not knowing until I get to heaven. But how do we break down the Word of God, the gospel, the mysteries, the things that people wonder about, the questions they have, so that people can understand them? When you look at the Word on the weekends, we have a lot of amazing communicators. I love when speakers can communicate in a way that it almost makes you want to go home and dig into it more. How many of you have ever been there? Like You're like, man, how did they get that? How did they, I don't understand, I'm I'm going to go home and I'm going to read, like, I'm encouraged to read more of the Bible. That's what people are like when we're living for the Lord. So what does it look like? How do we, if I were to say one thing that we walk out of here doing tonight, it would be this. How do we live for God in 2020? First, you have to understand you are not perfect. You are not perfect. You never, you never have been. You never will be. Be encouraged. See you later. But no, Jesus makes us enough. But what, what I think we as a church and what I want to commission you to do tonight is to answer this question, how do we live for God in 2020? If I can pastor you for a second, it's this. Let's point people to Jesus and stop making them act like Jesus. Because I think this is where we get it wrong as a church. Not as New Life, but there are people within New Life. I've done it. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been more concerned with the fruit in someone's life than, than the way that they're walking out their relationship with God. I've been there before. So this, this message is not for you. It's for me. But if we as a church, in order to be the salt of the earth, to be, to be a light, like this word says, to be a light, like a city on a hilltop, that nobody can, can look past. They're going to see it because of the glow in the night sky. How are we going to do that to where people want to be a part of what we are as believers, as people who live for Jesus, who have hope and joy and security and confidence in everything that we do? What? Let's point people to Jesus and stop making them act like him. Because without a relationship, acting like Jesus is just a bunch of religious rules. And that's what has turned so many people away from the church. And as I sat and asked God, I said, God, how do I do this? It's hard. I don't know. It feels intimidating and almost impossible to be everything to everybody. And to be honest, it will be. But all you can do is love God, love people, Stop making people act like Jesus. Point them to him. And know God's not expecting you to be God. Just for you to live out your relationship with God. Walk it out. In a way that attracts other people to him. And lastly, you are the light of the world. The last part of that verse. I'm just going to share an analogy. What light does is it illuminates. It shines on the things that are around it. 
in our life, simply put, should be a life. The, the light of Christ lives in you. So for you to think that there's something that you can do to make this light shine brighter, there's not. It's spending time with Jesus. It's spending time with God. If you look at, how many of y'all know the Gulf Stream? Have y'all ever heard of that? Any science majors? Water majors? I don't know. I don't know what would. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know who would study that. But in the Atlantic, that's to the right of the United States for all you geography majors, uh, there is, from the southern tip of Florida all the way to the north of England or Oh, whatever that is. I'm just not quite sure right now. Um, there runs this Gulf Stream. And what this Gulf Stream is, is it's a part of the water. It's in the ocean. But it doesn't interact with the rest of the ocean like the rest of the ocean does. What I mean by that is the, the color is different. It's a lighter blue. The temperature is different. It's warmer. Uh, it doesn't flow the same direction. It flows north to, or south to north. And if you look at this picture, it's the same water. It's the same thing that makes up the rest of the ocean. It's just completely different. There's nothing about that stream that allows the rest of the ocean to push into it, to, to mold it, and this is what we are to be as believers. We're to be in the ocean. We're to be in the world, but not of it. Not molded by it. Not allowing it to shift us or control our temperature or to control what we look like or control how we act. But we are to be in it, but nothing of it. And how do we do that? It's to be the salt of the earth. If you and I would take the time and I'm saying you and I because I need to focus more on this as well if we were to focus on more on who we are in God how we can continue to grow our relationship with Jesus what he's done for us what he's done for me and allow that to influence the way we see the people around us the way we see the work that we've been given the jobs that we have the relationships and the groups that we're a part of the influences and the gifts that God's put inside of us it changes the way we interact with everything around us. It causes us to be set apart, is what the Word says. And so for me to say, point people to Jesus, and let's stop making them act like Jesus, that's a word for me. And have I got it right all the time? No. But what I want us as believers to do is to realize that if we want to see our country come back under the covering of God, if we want to see the grace of God and the love of God infiltrate every area of our country, of our city, of our state, of our world, it's going to take us surrendering to the God above everything, letting Him change who we are, and letting that relationship influence everything that we're a part of. And then we're going to look like this stream that flows wherever we need to without looking anything alike, everything around it. And it's going to attract people. 
So for us to be the salt of the earth, we have to. We have to surrender to Jesus. We have to know that it's nothing that we can do under our own strength, but God wants to do it through you. And it's a submission and a surrender and just saying, Jesus, I don't have it. I'm not perfect. I'm not, I can't impress anybody because I'm really not that great. But God, I want to see your spirit move. I want to see my school changed. I want to see my workplace changed. I, I hate my boss, but God, I'm going to choose to, I'm going to choose to live for you and I'm going to show him grace and love and I'm going to, or her. Man, I can't stand my parents. They get on my nerves. I don't like going home. But when you go home for Christmas break, it's going to look different because of your relationship with Jesus and you're the salt of the earth. You may be the very reason that your parents come to know the Lord because of your relationship with him. I just want to pray for us in the room. God.